Father in heaven, we come into your presence this morning seeking a blessing from the wealth of knowledge that is in your word. But Father, without the Holy Spirit, all the searching that we do will amount to nothing. So Lord, we ask that the Spirit's presence would hover very close to us and that you would take the lifeless words that I speak and breathe life into them, that you would take the message through your Holy Spirit and apply it to our lives. Father, we want to be with you in the kingdom of heaven. And it's for this reason that we search the Scriptures. Bless us, Father, we ask, for we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Our sermon this week is entitled, The Science of Surrender. Last week, we began a study on the concept of surrender and what that looks like in the Bible. Uh, We looked at a lot of different aspects to surrender in our time together last week, but one passage that really stands out from that study is a passage from the Old Testament story in the book of 1 Kings chapter 20 and verse 4 where we find a political surrender that takes place between two opponents. Uh, The Bible tells us that Ben-Hadad goes and he makes war against Israel and in that battle that, 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 that takes place, Ahab, the wicked king Ahab, makes a surrender to Ben-Hadad and in that surrender the Bible records the very words that Ahab spoke to Ben-Hadad, and in those words, I believe we find the heart and soul of what it means to be a converted Christian. Ahab, as he stands before Ben-Hadad, the conquering general, the victorious kingdom, he says this in chapter 20 and verse 4, and the king of Israel answered and said, my lord, O king, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. Ahab made a a complete surrender to Ben-Hadad. He did not hold back anything. He said, I am thine and all that I have. It wasn't a partial surrender. It wasn't a quarter surrender. It wasn't a half surrender, but it was a complete surrender, an unreserved surrender that was made. And although that was a political surrender between two kingdoms, I believe we find there recorded the very essence of our attitude that we should have as converted Seventh-day Adventists. As we pray to God, my Lord, O King, I am thine and all that I have. We don't make a partial surrender to God for a partial surrender is not a surrender. We don't make a quarter surrender or a half surrender to God. When we come to him, I am thine and all that I have. Dear Lord, thy will be done, not my will, but thine be done. We are told in the book Evangelism, page 317, Satan does not want anyone to see the necessity of an entire surrender to God. What does Satan not want you to see? the necessity of an entire surrender to God. Now, if the devil doesn't want you to see something, do you think it's a good idea for you to see it? Why doesn't the devil want you to see the necessity of an entire surrender to God? 
You, you know, some of us, maybe we kind of think that surrender is kind of on the side here. But according to her, she says it's a necessity. It's something that's imperative to our salvation. She goes on. Satan does not want us to see or want anybody to see the necessity of an entire surrender to God. When the soul fails to make this surrender, sin is not forsaken. The appetites and the passions are striving for the mastery. Temptation confuses the conscience so that true conversion does not take place. I believe with all my heart that those who experience an absolute surrender, my Lord, O King, I am thine and all that I have, that they have experienced what she calls a conversion experience, which means that those who have not made the surrender to God, an absolute surrender to him, that they have not experienced true conversion. I said last week, we can have a head full of theoretical knowledge. We can be able to spout off all the right answers. We can have, uh, you know, years of uninterrupted attendance at church and hold multiple positions within the church. But if we haven't experienced an unreserved surrender to God, we have missed out on having that true conversion experience. And although the Lord may use us as unconverted Christians to lead others to Jesus, if we fail to experience that conversion ourselves, we will miss out on the most important thing, and that is reunion with God in the kingdom of heaven. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 141, says this, the greatest battle that was ever fought by man is the surrender of self to the will of God. What's the greatest battle that you will ever fight? The surrender of, the, of your will, the surrender of self to the will of God. It is the greatest battle that you will ever fight. In our time together last week, we talked about how when it comes to surrender, you can't even do it on your own. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do. You can't even make a surrender on your own. All you can do is pray and say, Lord, I am willing to be made willing. When the Lord comes and says, this is what I want you to do through the impressions of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what the two words were that we do, that we say to maintain our surrender? Yes, Lord. My child, I want you to live this way. Yes, Lord. My child, I don't want you to say that. Yes, Lord. My child, this is the way I want you to go. Yes, Lord. My child, I want you to go make this wrong right. Yes, Lord. My child, I don't want you to eat a certain way. Yes, Lord. This is the way we maintain that attitude of surrender to God by simply saying, yes, Lord, I am willing to be made willing. In our scripture reading this morning, we looked at Paul's description of absolute surrender, Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, if you choose to turn there. Romans chapter 6 and verse 16. I like the way Jess's translation read. I think it's a good way of reading it. But I'll read it to you from the King James Version. It says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants, and this is why I like Jess's translation, because the word servants was translated as Did you catch it? Slaves, know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves slaves or servants to obey, his servant ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. Did did you know that there is nothing that you can do to change the fact that you are a servant? You are a slave 
There is nothing you can do to change that. But the good news this morning is this. You can choose who's your master. Would you say amen to that? You're either one or the other. You can't, you can't, there's no neutral ground here. There's no Switzerland, if you will. It's either one or the other. We either yield ourselves or surrender ourselves as servants or slaves to God, or we yield ourselves or surrender ourselves as servants of Satan. It's one or the other. And when God comes through the impressions of the Holy Spirit and says, this is the way I want you to live your life, when you say yes, you are yielding yourself to God and saying, he is my master. But when the Holy Spirit comes and impresses with you, this is the way I want you to go, this is what I want you to say or not say, and you say no to that, you are yielding yourself or surrendering yourself to be a servant of Satan. There's no middle ground. It's one or the other. And I don't know about you this morning, but I think I would rather have God as my master than the devil any day. But the devil comes along with those temptations, and he tries to get us to think that he would be a much better master to serve. That the devil is, or that, that, that God is too arbitrary, too strict, too difficult, whatever it may be, he comes up with all these excuses. Why? But we know from our heads in, in our study of God's word, that God is a much, much better master than Satan is any day. But as I thought about this concept of surrender a little bit more, when it comes to having and maintaining this absolute, unreserved surrender to God, there is one thing in our lives that will derail us every time. One thing that will derail you every time in maintaining that constant surrender to God. And this isn't revolutionary. It's not going to be mind-bending or mind-blowing this morning. But that one thing that derails you every time is yielding to sin in your life. Would you agree? I mean, I kind of just said it. Paul even says it, right? You know, when we yield ourselves servants to God, it results in obedience When we yield ourselves as servants to Satan, it results in sin. Sin is the thing that derails us every time from maintaining that absolute surrender. But the good news this morning is this, that we don't have to succumb to to Satan's temptations. Would you say amen? That wasn't a very good amen. Are we in a group of people who've experienced victory over the devil? Amen? Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, you'll go there with me very quickly in your Bibles. One passage that you are familiar with that's going to launch us into our study. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, the Bible says this. Paul talking here, he says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to men. Simply put, Paul is saying, whatever temptation you struggle with, there are other people that struggle with that same thing. When it comes to the, when it comes to the idea of surrendering our lives to God, We are not the only ones that struggle with that. Everybody struggles with maintaining that surrender. It's a constant battle of surrendering our will to God, as we're going to see here in just a few moments. There had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. Would somebody say amen? But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to what? 
Very. Here's the wonderful promise in that passage of Scripture that I've claimed many times. God promises us that with every temptation that comes our way, there is a way of what? Did you catch it? With every temptation that comes our way, every temptation that the devil's trying to use to derail us from maintaining our conversion experience of surrender, the Bible promises us that there's a way of escape from that temptation. So oftentimes in my own personal life, I will say, Lord, you promised that there is a way of escape in this Bible promise, so where is the way of escape? I don't try to find it myself. I just say, listen, you said it. Show me where it is. And there are a number of things that God has shown me in my walk with him, and you've probably stumbled over these things in your own spiritual journey as well. So I'm here just to kind of do a little reminding in our uh, spiritual journey this morning. I want to share with you three things very quickly in our time together, three things that provide a way of escape when the devil comes to derail us in our absolute surrender to God, tries to steal away from us that conversion experience that is so precious to us that we want to hold on to it. Three things that will help us to maintain that surrender. Now, what I'm going to share with you in these three things, this is our part. Okay, so we have to, as, as Christians, we got to understand what our part is and what God's part is, okay? There's a small part that we have and a lot that God has. I'm going to share with you three things. This is our part, and then I'm going to talk a little bit more about what God's part is. The first thing that I want to suggest to you this morning that will help you in your course to maintain a surrender to God and, be, and, and fulfill your part in victory over sin is using the gift. Of prayer. Amen? Now, if you were to set a timer and time throughout the day, how much time you spend in prayer and how much time you spend talking about other people's issues, what would that timer look like? I'm not asking you to answer that, okay? If you were to set a timer and time how much time you spend in prayer, versus how much time you spend thinking about worldly things, what would those timers look like? Listen, we know a lot of good religion inside of our heads, but let's be honest. Many of us don't practice it the way we ought to. And when we start talking about prayer, some of us sit there in the pews and our eyes glaze over. And I'm not talking about anybody in particular right now because I don't see anybody with glazed eyes. But sometimes the tendency is to do that. Oh, I've heard this before. I'm just going to check out at this point. But then we wonder, why are we struggling in our spiritual life? Why isn't the church growing? Why hasn't the Lord blessed me with a Bible study contact that has made a decision to become a Seventh-day Adventist, to become a member of God's church? Why do I have so many issues in my family? Why do I have so many challenges? It's because oftentimes that we haven't been exercising the ABCs of Christianity. And prayer is one of those things. Now, there are two types of prayer that I'd like to suggest to you this morning that we would do well to exercise in gaining the victory over sin that derails us in our absolute surrender to God. The first type of prayer that we might pray is what I like to call ambulance prayer. What did I call it? How many of you are thankful for ambulance? Are you, I don't know about you, I'm thankful for them, but I don't want to be in them. Are you all with me here this morning? Right? I'm thankful that they're there, but I don't want to be in an ambulance because an ambulance means that there is an what? 
an emergency, right? Now, there are times where we come into a spiritual emergency. It's a spiritual crisis, if you will. And at that time, we need ambulance prayers. We need to pray at that moment in the time of that crisis when our flesh is warring against us and our, our mind and our body is wanting to go one direction and the spirit is pulling us in the other direction. We need ambulance prayer at that time because we are in a spiritual emergency and we're about to have a spiritual heart attack and die. But as important as ambulance prayer is, I think there's a better way. Not that we shouldn't use that. But it's what I like to call preventative prayer. What did I call it? Now, when you think of preventative, what do you, what do you think of? You, know, you think of something, when you exercise prevention, you're trying to keep something from happening, right? So preventative prayer is a prayer that is prayed to keep something from taking place. Now, let me tell you something this morning. Every one of you that are sitting in this sanctuary know your area of weakness, your spiritual area of weakness. You all know it. You've gone over it many times. You've fallen into it many times. We, we know our areas of weakness. So let me ask you a question. Do I need to wait until my flesh is warring to pray about that area of weakness, yes or no? Should I? That's not good stewardship. That's not good spiritual stewardship, if you will. If I know my area of weakness, which we all do, why shouldn't I be spending time praying about that before the flesh gets engaged and it's drawing me away, away from the inclinations and desire that the Holy Spirit has for me? If I know that area of weakness, I should be actively praying about God helping me in that area every day, maybe even multiple times throughout the day, that God would give me the victory whenever the devil tends to bring that area of weakness into my uh, life. Are you all with me, yes or no? Preventative prayer. Now, when you think about preventative prayer, there's two things that you should remember. The first thing is this. When you pray in a preventative manner, you need to be specific about what you're praying about. What do you need to be? Specific. None of these general prayers when, it's talking about, when we're talking about preventative prayer. There are times for general prayer. There are times when we just have a, a blanket prayer where we just kind of cover everything over. Maybe you're in your family circle or you're in a church or something like that. There's a time for that type of prayer. But when it comes to preventative prayer between me and God, I need to lay it out just as it is. Lord, this is what X, Y, Z I'm struggling with. These are the reasons why. This is why I like it. Talk to the Lord about it. Lay it out there for him. You're not hiding anything from him. Just do it. Lay it out there and be very specific in what it is that you are asking for. The second thing that you need to do is you need to be persistent. You need to be what? Persistent. So you need to be specific in preventative prayer, and you need to be persistent. Pray for that thing over and over again. Don't just pray for it once a week. Don't just pray for it once a month. Don't just pray for it once a day, but pray for it over and over and over again that God would give you the victory in this area when the devil brings that temptation your way. Go with me to the Gospel of Luke. I want to illustrate this for you very quickly here. Luke chapter 22 and verse 39. Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 39. Bible says this, verse 39. And he came out, that is Jesus came out, and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into what? Temptation. 
And he withdrew from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. What did Jesus tell the disciples to do in the the Garden of Gethsemane? Pray that you what? Enter not into temptation. Was the temptation then or in the future? Now, of course, they had the temptation of falling asleep. But I'm going to tell you something this morning. That temptation was small in comparison to what they were about to go through. And Jesus knew what the disciples were getting ready to go through. And so he told them in per, in, to, to prevent them falling into temptation, he said, right now, before the temptation comes, right now, what did he tell them to do? Pray that you enter not into temptation. In another uh, gospel, he said, because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, the disciples follow his advice, yes or no? Of course they didn't. And what happened? They were offended because of Jesus that night. And the Bible says they were scattered like sheep without a shepherd because they didn't use preventative prayer. Many of us are stuck in ambulance mode. Our, li- our spiritual life is a constant crisis. We go from one crisis to the next. And, and, in, and in between, we're sleeping in between the crises. And, 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 and in the crisis is what creates the need for a spiritual walk with the Lord. When I'm suggesting to you this morning that the crisis should not be the motivation, the fact that Jesus died on the cross for you and wants you to be in the kingdom of heaven should be what motivates us. And when the crisis comes, we, have, we will have spent ample time in prayer to God and he will give us the strength to get us through that hour of trial. Now, I wonder to myself, What would have been the outcome with the disciples if they had followed Jesus' advice? What would have happened with the disciples? Now, we don't know. All we can do is theorize. But if they had followed Jesus' advice to pray that they enter not into temptation, and they spent the same amount of time in prayer that Jesus prayed, what would have happened? I don't know, but all I can surmise is that they would have been victorious. Now, as you continue reading the story in Matthew, you can read it, Matthew 23, as you look at Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, we're all familiar with it. Jesus' prayer was specific, was it not? Let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And Jesus was persistent. He prayed that prayer three times. In his preventative prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was specific and he was persistent in his prayer. And I believe, as I mentioned to you last week, I believe that the Garden of Gethsemane is where our salvation was purchased. Yes, Jesus died on the cross, but that preventative prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden was what gave him the strength to go through the trial that he was about to go through for the next 48 hours. Now, let me ask you this. what What would you more desire? Emergency care or preventative medicine? There's no question about it. Every one of us here this morning would say preventative medicine, but that's not the way we live our spiritual lives many times, right? If, if we want physically preventative medicine, now listen, physically, I'm glad that there's an ambulance in case something happens, but I'm doing everything I can to live a healthy life so that I don't have to get back in the, in the back of that box car and be driven to the hospital. Now, if something happens, I'm glad it's there in an emergency. 
but I'm going to do everything I can to keep myself out of there by living a healthy life. And the same should be true for us spiritually. We should do everything we can to stay out of the back of that spiritual emergency truck. It's there for us just in case. But if we live that preventative spiritual life, praying those preventative prayers, we will oftentimes find that the hours of spiritual crisis are not as bad as they could be. So if we're going to live a preventative life physically, we should live that also spiritually. So the first thing I'm suggesting to you this morning, to help keep you, to do your part rather, in keeping your attitude of surrender is using the gift and the tool of prayer. The second thing I want to suggest to you this morning is this. The second thing that will help you, incidentally, let me say this before I I mention the second thing. How difficult is it to sin when you're praying? Have you ever tried it? Is it easy to sin when you're praying, yes or no? It's not. Why? You all know why, right? Because you're thinking about spiritual things. You see, we've got to to get our minds off of the temptation, and the Lord's given us tools to get our mind off of the temptation, but he's not going to use that tool for us. God's not going to pray for you. He's giving you the tool for you to use it yourself to get your mind off of that temptation. And when I pray, it makes it very difficult for me to yield and submit to that temptation. Incidentally, the second thing, if you use it, will make it difficult for you to sin as well. And that is what I call Bible memorization. What did I call it? Number one, prayer. Number two, Bible memorization. Now listen, I meet people all the time who have a variety of excuses why they can't memorize the Bible. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that on your way home from church to throw those excuses out the window. Leave them on the road as you're driving home because I don't think that there's any valid excuse for why you cannot memorize the Bible. If it takes you a month to memorize one verse, you will be better at the end of that month than you were at the beginning of that month. Would you say amen? Bible memorization. Let me ask you a question. How easy is it for you to sin when you're quoting the word of God? Can you do it? It's awfully difficult if you're going to try it. I don't suggest that you do, but what you're doing is you're making it difficult for yourself to submit your mind to the control of Satan, and you're making it easier for yourself to submit your mind to the control of God. The Bible tells us, thy word have I hid in my, that I might not against you. There you go. You already have your one Bible passage this morning. Let me tell you something. Every good Seventh-day Adventist who has gone through Bible studies and Bible prophecy seminars and Sabbath school and church has probably a dozen or more passages already memorized that they don't know anything about. If you start making a list, you'll come up with passages rather quickly. But the Bible says, thy word have I hid in my heart. It doesn't say, thy word have I hid in my phone. It doesn't say, thy word have I hid in a book. It doesn't say, thy word have I hid in my uh, morning worship journal. It doesn't say, thy word have I hid in church. It says, thy word have I hid where? It's not going to do any good for you if it's here and not here. Are you all with me? He says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. As we hide God's word in our hearts, we're making it awfully difficult for us to submit to Satan's 
temptations. Think about this. If you have just two Bible verses memorized, and that temptation comes your way, and you start quoting those Bible passages, that's five minutes that you are quoting the word of God when you are being tempted. Is that gonna make it more difficult for you to submit to that temptation? Mm-hmm, sure is. What if you had a chapter memorized? You got five to 10 minutes, maybe even 12 minutes, depending on how long that chapter is. You have that whole chapter memorized, and boom, the devil comes to you with that area of weakness, and you start quoting that Bible passage inside of your head. Is it gonna make it easier or harder for you to submit to that temptation? It's gonna make it harder for you. You see, we gotta, we gotta use these tools. We are so familiar with these things. We've heard them over and over again, yet we wonder why we struggle with temptation because we're not putting them into practice. We know it here, but it hasn't become part of our lives. And I think most of us here this morning probably have Revelation chapter 14, verses six through 12, the three angels' message. Most of us probably have 80% of that already memorized because we've heard it so many times. Take the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. Most of us here this morning probably already have 75 to 80% of that already memorized. You might just need to go there and kind of brush it up a little bit, and boom, you'll have that whole section stuck inside of your head. Psalms 23. How many times have you heard Psalms chapter 23? We've heard it dozens of times, maybe even more than dozens of times. You might just need to brush up a few, ver- few words here and there, and boom, you've got another chapter inside of your mind. Go where you've already got some of it memorized and then brush it up and you'll find that you'll have a lot more in your brain than you thought you did. But here's where things kind of, where we kind of get put to shame as Christians. Muslim young men, just as a side note, most Muslims are not bad people, just in case you were wondering. Amen? Amen? Yes, there are a few extreme radical people out there that do crazy things, but that does not make all Muslim people bad, contrary to what you might hear in the world today. But most, many Muslim young men, as a rite of passage, will memorize the entire Quran. How much of it? You think they believe in their book? takes them three to five years to memorize the entire Quran. That's commitment. That's devotion. It has 30 books. The Quran has 30 books, 114 chapters, 6,236 verses. Just as a context, the New Testament has just shy of 8,000 verses in it. So it's roughly about the size of the New Testament. And they will commit three to five years of their life to put their religious book inside of their heads. Can you see why when Muslims look at Christianity, they see it as a bankrupt religion? Christians talk about their God. They say they pray to their God and that they believe in this book called the Bible. Yet when they look at those Christians, many of them can't even quote the Bible. Many of them can't even uh, take a, a Muslim to a passage of Scripture about Jesus and what he has done for us. And they say, hang on a second here. What kind of commitment is it to this type of religion that they say is the God of everything? This, cannot, this is not a true religion to them. But it makes me wonder if we had the commitment to the word of God that they have to the commitment of their Quran, if maybe some Muslims would see 
that Christianity is not a bankrupt religion, but it is life everlasting. Listen, it's not about what we can do. It's what we want to do. If we want to commit Scripture to memory, we can do it. It's all a matter of what we want to do. So number one, prayer. Number two, what is number two? Memorize the Bible. Let me share with you the third thing that you might find a little odd or different than what you've traditionally heard when it comes to gaining the victory over temptation. And the third thing is using the tool of singing. What did I say? Singing. How many of you like to sing? How many of you like to sing when other people are listening? (laughs) Some of us don't mind that. Uh, But most of us like to hide behind the congregation, don't we? You know, I know my talents, and that's not one of them, we might say. Uh, We'll let the other people who have better voices do the singing up front. But singing is a tremendous tool that God has given to us to battle temptations that may come our way. We're going to sing our closing hymn here in just a few moments. But I want you to think about the words in hymn number 330. Take my life and let it be. Consecrate it, Lord, to thee. Take my feet and let them be. Swift and beautiful for thee. Take my lips and let them be. Filled with messages from thee. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. What is that a song of? It's a song of commitment. It's a song of surrender. It's a song of consecration, of giving all over to the Lord. And when you are battling with temptation, you start singing those types of songs. And I want to tell you something. When you get to the end of that song, you'll find that that temptation has drifted away. Because what you think about is what you become. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What about hymn number uh, uh, 306? Draw me nearer. Draw me nearer, precious Lord. There's a a, a phrase in there. And my will be lost in thine. Fantastic prayer. Fantastic song for us to sing. Hymn number 308. Holy thine. What better thing could you say when you're battling with temptation? I'm holy thine, Lord. Not part. I am thine and all that I have. Hymn number 311. I would be like Jesus. What a great song to pray or sing when you're being tempted to do something wrong. I will be like Jesus. I will be like Jesus. This is my song. I will be like Jesus. For Jesus didn't yield to temptation, neither will I. Would you say amen? The deacons are going to pass something out here. Uh, In just a moment, they're going to go ahead and pass it out. I've got a a quote that I want to share with you, and I want you to actually have a physical copy of this so you can underline, you can write on there, you can do whatever you want, you can take it home, reread it, whatever it may be. But I want to kind of share with you the other side of this. We've looked at it from the Bible. We're going to look at something here from the Spirit of Prophecy that's going to actually back up what we've already studied in our Bible together this morning. But incidentally, let me mention this. While they're passing this out here, um, in our home, we have a little tradition. On Sabbath mornings, as we are getting ready for church, uh, mostly during uh, uh, breakfast time, we have three CDs, and we'll often play one of them, uh, and they're CDs of Scripture songs. Now, I'll be the first to say that they're not the most, you know, they're not going to make the top 20, okay? But it's Scripture. And the goal for the, the spiritually-minded person is to commit God's Word to my heart, to memorize it, to put it inside of my mind. When I was at high school, uh, during the week, during our um, uh, morning and evening worship during the, 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 the week, we would sing what we called Scripture songs. They were Scripture put to music. 
And many of those songs that we sang when I was in high school, I still have them inside of my mind. And I can bring them back in the time of temptation, in the time that I'm struggling. I can start meditating on the word of God. And we will oftentimes do this in our family. I want this, these passages to get stuck inside of my kid's head so that when they get older, they have that resource to be able to use when the devil comes their way. They have the word of God to be able to quote as they've memorized it at the breakfast table. And if you're interested in any of those CDs, you can let me know. I'd be happy to burn a couple of copies for you so that you can listen to them and commit God's word to memory as well. Three things we've looked at this morning. Prayer, Bible memorization, singing. These are all tools that you can use to combat the enemy when he tries to derail you from your committed consecration and unreserved surrender to God. Okay, you have the statement in your hand. We're going to go ahead and work through this. This is from Mind, Character, and Personality, Volume 2, page 595. You can mark it up, take it home, whatever you need to do to it, uh, underline it, pin it up on your refrigerator, keep it in your Bible, wherever you think it would be most helpful. She begins by saying this, if Satan seeks to divert the mind, now I would say when Satan, because it's not if, it's when, right? But she says, if Satan seeks to divert the mind to low and sensual things, what are the next four words? What are they? Bring it back again and place it on what? Eternal things. Now, let me tell you something this morning. That is your job. That's your part. She says, if Satan tries to divert your mind, she says, bring it back again and place it on that which is good. How do we do that? How do I, when Satan tries to divert my mind, how do I bring it back again? I just shared with you three ways of doing that. Through prayer, we can bring our thoughts back. Through Bible memorization, we can bring our thoughts back. Through singing good, godly, scriptural songs, we can bring our thoughts back. Through Bible study, we can bring our thoughts back. So she says, when Satan tries to divert your mind to low and central things, bring it back again and place it on what? Eternal things. Now, let me ask you a question. If you don't have eternal things in your head, can you bring your mind back to that, yes or no? You can't. So you got to have something there to be able to bring your mind back to you. You see, many of us, or some of us, have an experience where we have that, that, that in the children's story, that little container. And, and in that container, we have you know, five uh, pieces of wisdom inside of our head, right? And, and, and the rest of the container is completely empty. And the devil looks at that container and he says, wow, look at all that space that I can put stuff in. And so he gets you saying, mm, I'm tired. I'm going to sit down and watch the TV for a little while tonight. Mm? Yep, so he fills up all that blank space with worldly things. And it dilutes the spiritual. You see, what we want to do is we want to take that container, and instead of having five, six, ten words of wisdom in there, we want the whole container full of words of wisdom so that the devil does not have any space to put his stuff in. Would you say amen? Bring it back again, she says. Then she goes on, she says, when the Lord sees the determined effort made to retain only pure thoughts, he will attract the mind like a what? When the Lord sees, when the Lord looks down and he looks at his children and he sees their determined efforts. Let me ask you a question. When you are determined to do something, is that easy or hard? It's not always easy to be determined. It's not always easy to do something when you are determined to do it because oftentimes people are pushing you the opposite way. 
But when the Lord sees that you are determined to set your thoughts on things that come from above, to retain pure thoughts, she says, he will attract the mind like a magnet. That's his promise. That's his part. I can't do that. God's the one that does the attraction. So my part is to bring my thoughts back again. Once I do that through the tools that God has given to me, then it's God's part. And he attracts the mind like a magnet. You've seen magnets before, right? You know, the closer they get together, the what? Maybe you haven't seen magnets before. <laughs> Let me tell you, the closer a magnet gets to one another, if you've got them going in the right direction, the stronger the pull becomes. So you can think of your mind over here as one magnet and God over here as the other magnet. And when I bring my thoughts back, when I pull them back, and the devil's trying to pull them this way, and I bring them back through spiritual things, the closer I get to God, the stronger the what? The stronger the pull until it's... It connects together. And then I have the mind of Christ at that point. So she says that he will do the attracting. He will attract the mind like a magnet. That's a promise. And then she goes on. He will purify the what? Who does the purifying? God's doing the purifying. He will then purify our thoughts. Let me tell you something this morning. I believe that it's a greater miracle of God to purify the thoughts of man than it was to raise Lazarus from the dead, especially in the day and age that we're living in. And Christians are subjected to the same thing when it comes to degrading thoughts that take us away from God. Next paragraph, she goes on. She says this. The first work of those who reform is to purify the what? What's our first work? What is it? Our first work, when you say something's the first work, when do you do that? When do you do it? You do it first, right? It's the first thing that you do. If it's the first work in a line of things that need to be done, that's the first thing that you do. But oftentimes we don't do that. She says the first work, that those who would reform, or the first work of those who would reform is to purify the what? The imagination. Now, the imagination is a wonderful thing. You can use it for good. This morning in our breakfast time, as we were eating our breakfast, I was talking to the kids about what they look forward to when they get to the kingdom of heaven. And they were talking about how, you know, the, the houses that are going to be built and the animals that are going to be there and all that kind of stuff that we've talked about before. They're imagining what heaven is going to be like. We talk about that oftentimes in our homes, and that's a good use of our imagination. But unfortunately, the devil understands how powerful the imagination is to sway us one way or the other. It has a direct hold upon our feelings. And so he tries to get in there and get our imaginations and set them on things of the earth instead of things on heaven. But she says the first work would be to reform and purify the imagination. Write this passage down, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We won't turn there, but you're familiar with it. It says this, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. When you think about something who's, somebody who's captive, what do you refer to somebody who's a captive? A what? A slave. Remember, we're all slaves. We're all servants. The question is, who is my master? And if I choose to have God as my master, then the Bible tells me my thoughts need to be captive to his will. 
That means that I won't think about things that Jesus wouldn't think about. I wouldn't talk about things that Jesus would not talk about. I would not do things that Jesus would not do. My thoughts are captive to the will of God. Then she goes on, she says this. If the mind is led out in a vicious direction, it must be, what's the next word there? It must be what? What do you think of when you think of restrained? When something is being restrained, does it want to be restrained or not? When we were driving over here from Fremont, my, Midori said to me, you know what I think of when I think of the word restrained? I said, what? She said, I think of a toddler. <laughs> Those of you that are parents understand that, right? Restraining a child, and they're wanting to do something. You, know, you could also think an animal that's been caught. They are restrained. They're struggling to get free because they want to go one way, but you want to take them in another way. The Bible, t- she's telling us that the thoughts need to be restrained. If the mind is led in a vicious direction, it must be restrained. You've got to pull it back. You've got to restrain it to dwell upon pure and what? Elevated subjects. When tempted to yield to a corrupt imagination, then flee to the throne of grace and pray for what? <clears throat> pray for strength from heaven. Listen, you cannot restrain your thoughts to dwell upon pure and elevated subjects if pure and elevated subjects are not things that you often think about. It just doesn't work. It can't happen that way. But when pure and elevated thoughts are things that you choose to think about on a regular basis, when the temptation comes, your mind will naturally want to go in that direction rather than in the ungodly way. And then she concludes by saying this, in the strength of God... The imagination can be disciplined to dwell upon things which are pure and heavenly. Would you say amen to that? That's a promise. That's a promise that we can have disciplined minds that will think on pure and holy things. But I'm going to tell you again, you can't have a mind that thinks on pure and holy things if your mind is constantly thinking upon worldly things. It just doesn't work that way. I don't know, you know, the the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. You've heard that before, right? And sometimes we live an insane spiritual experience. We keep doing the same thing. We keep, you know, digesting the same worldly stuff, and we keep expecting something different to happen. And we get spiritually discouraged by that, and we become spiritually insane, and some of us may need to be admitted into a spiritually insane asylum because we've just, we drive ourselves spiritually mad because we want to live this way, but we constantly keep feeding ourselves this way, and we expect something to change. No, 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 no. If we want this, we've got to put away that so that we can have the better thing. But the good news this morning is, that our minds can be disciplined to think on pure and holy thoughts. No doctrine, no prophecy, no teaching that's specific to Seventh-day Adventism has any value to us as Seventh-day Adventists if we haven't first experienced genuine conversion. We've made ourselves comfortable by the fact that we can say all the right things. We've made ourselves feel comfortable by the fact 
that we are doing a lot of good. And as I mentioned last week, I'll mention it again this week. God will use unconverted people in his work. He did with the disciples, and he'll do it in the last days. But that doesn't mean that he'll save those unconverted people. And it would be a shame for God to use us to win people into his kingdom and then for us to miss out on the very thing that we were inviting other people to. We can't get so caught up in what we're doing and what we know that we forget who we know and why we know him. Again, I challenge you with this statement in 1 Kings chapter 20 and verse 4. My Lord, O King, according to thy saying, I am thine and all that I have. I want to invite you this morning to make that commitment to the Lord and say, Father, all that I have is yours. My mind, the words that I speak, the money that I earn, the time that I have, everything that I own, I give it to you for you to use at your disposal. I don't want to hold any of it back. Don't want to be a half-baked Christian that's only partly surrendered, which isn't surrendered at all. It's really a miserable life when you live a partly surrendered life. And so I, can, I, I challenge you this morning with this commitment. Father, I am thine and all that I have. And if there's anything in my life that is keeping me from making that unreserved surrender to you, I'm asking you, Lord, to show me what that thing is because I want to put it on the altar and burn it. I'm not asking you to enter into this lightly, but I'm really asking you to think about it. I think our church is poised to be really used by God. But we need the Lord to take us over the edge. We have members who have willing hearts. We have people in our church that have talents for God. We have what it takes. But we need the Lord through the power of his Holy Spirit to take us over the edge. And the only way that's going to happen is by experiencing conversion. I am thine and all that I have. God has blessed this church. Not because of what we've done, but despite ourselves. And I believe that God can bless this church much more. And I want to see what that looks like. In two months, we're going to be opening our doors and inviting people to come to our seminar. Wouldn't it be great by then for us to be a church that is consecrated and sold out to God? And God could say, listen, here is a church in Michigan that is completely surrendered to my will, and whatever I ask them to do, that's what they're going to do. 
Whatever individual I go to and I say, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live. This is what I want you to say. Whatever I ask them to do through the impression of the Holy Spirit, that's what they're going to do. Here's a church that will do it. Send the Holy Spirit. Send him. Open the doors of heaven and pour out the blessings upon them. My people need to hear the message that these people have. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I believe it can be a reality. But the Lord is waiting for us to have it out with him in the prayer closet and say, Lord, show me, as painful as it may be, I don't care how painful it is, but whatever it is, Lord, show me. I'll give it to you. Whatever attitude it is, whatever it is, I'll give it to you, Lord, and I'll leave you to figure out what the results are going to be. I'm just committed wholeheartedly to you and your desire. If that's your desire, I'm going to ask you to join me in kneeling in prayer if you can. Those of you that can't kneel, just make that commitment in your heart to the Lord. The Lord understands. Father in heaven, we come to you as a church family. Here in our family worship that we have once a week, Father, we recognize our utter dependence upon you. Lord, we recognize our need of constantly being wholly thine. And Father, as we kneel before you as a family, we're telling you, Lord, This is what we want. Individually, we want it, Lord, so that we can have it collectively as a church. Father, we yearn, we long, and we hunger to have the gates of heaven opened and blessings to be poured down upon us because we can be trusted with the power that is invested in the Holy Spirit, that we would take no glory to ourselves, that we would not seek to hinder or hamper the work of the Holy Spirit in any way, way. that we would only seek the good of those around us. Oh, Father, you know our hearts. The Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is so weak. And Lord, this next week, as we, as we have it out with you in our prayer closets, as we wrestle together with you, oh God, show us what it is that we have not surrendered to you. Make it as clear as day. And Father, we may wrestle with it. But I pray that you would give us the strength from above to lay that thing on the altar say, not my will, but thine be done. Father, we want to be used by you to share the gospel to these precious souls that you're going to bring to us in our Bible prophecy seminar. But Lord, we don't want it to be like any other seminar. We're not satisfied with the status quo anymore. We are asking for heaven's blessing to be poured out in abundance. 
And may we look back, Father, at this time. It's a spiritual high point in our walk with you. Oh, bless us, Father. Help us. Help us, I pray. Thank you for hearing this prayer. Thank you for answering it. Because we pray it according to your will. And in the almighty and all-powerful name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.